Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name is Scott Jennison. I'm the Acquisitions Manager here at Streamline Property Buyers. Um, and today we've got a, a special guest with us. We've got Tim Benetton from Tim Benetton Architects in, um, in Brisbane. Welcome, Tim. Thank you very much, Scott. Lovely to be here. Yes, we're super excited to be talking to Tim today. For the last 16 and a half years, he has been running his own architectural firm here in Brisbane, and we're going to be picking his brain on some of the latest trends that are emerging in that space, but also specifically to uh, Queensland architecture or Brisbane architecture. You know, is it better to, to renovate or knock down and rebuild? We're going to answer some of these big questions today. So, um, Tim, when it all started for you, where did architecture begin? Yeah, well, thanks, Melinda. Uh, well, I, I grew up in Melbourne and I actually studied engineering at Melbourne Uni and then I worked for a while in an area which just didn't seem to be very creative and I thought it's a bit of a cliche, but architecture at its best is actually a combination of sort of art and science. So I thought I'd come up to Queensland, do that, go back down south, came up here, really enjoyed it, uh, decided to to stay in sunny Brisbane and haven't regretted it. It's an interesting background there, Tim. And I know we did talk briefly off air. Um, you asked about my background as a builder. Um, and I talked about being a buyer's agent now and the advantage and the the plus that that sort of has for our clients. I think the engineering background, that'd have to be a plus for an architect because coming from that construction background, you would, under, or the engineering side of it, you would understand how things have to be built, obviously, so then to design them. Um, that would have been a real plus, I think, for an architect, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, th I think it is, Scott, because it means like, you know, if you look at any project that you do, we sort of talk about with our clients is, you know, we start from a point which is basically unknown. Like we want to have us at the end. Um, we don't know what it's going to be, look like. We don't know what it's going to cost. We haven't drawn anything. So it means you can sort of make, I guess, make just tend to be more aware of, some of the limitations with structure and footings and foundations. So uh, anything that helps you get to a better end result with a happier client and managing those budgets is really important, I think. And Tim, you worked with um, an internationally recognised um, architect for many years, Gabrielle Poole. Um, talk a little bit about that time. Yeah, so when I finished um, studying at QT, we arranged a visit. This was sort of, must have been about 2000, I think. So we arranged a visit to go up and see some of his work and one of, I guess, probably about the best house he ever did in his opinion would have been his Lake Wyver house with his wife Elizabeth at, um, just just behind Noosa. And um, I thought, wow, what a great guy, fantastic architecture, sort of simple, strong, down to earth. And so I hit him up for a job. There's also some good surf up that way, so I thought that was a, um, a great opportunity as well. And so he gave me, um, although I'd sort of just about finished architecture and I'd had graduated as an engineer, he gave me a student job for 250 bucks a week. And um, that turned into about a six or seven year um, experience working for him directly. And then we actually continued to collaborate on various jobs until he died about two or three years ago. So, you know, I, I think a lot of my architectural education was actually working for him and with him it was really about how it how things feel and i think the other 
really important about it is just how we probably don't have a place we live in. In this part of the world, we live in between sort of Byron Bay and Noosa. You know, you need a roof. You don't really need that many walls and you can get great opportunities to, I guess, get really closely connected to gardens and nature and things, which people from down south, which is where I grew up, you just don't appreciate how much we can do that up here. It's it's much less about strong enclosed walls and things. It's all about being, you know, almost living in the garden. So um, big, big changes. I guess that was the major lesson that he taught me. Big changes when you've gone from an engineer down in Melbourne to an architect up Noosa, Noosa Way. Um, I, yeah, can see yeah. why, I can see why yeah, you did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Good appeal. And, and I love the um, the example you gave there of the different styles of architecture. And I know in the inquiry that we often get from Southerners, those that live in perhaps Sydney or Melbourne, when they're very used to brick and tile structures and, as you said, solid walls, and then they come up to Queensland and there's a lot of uh, lightweight materials that may be used and and you would know more about this, but you referenced the fact that, yes, a roof over their head is so important, but bringing the outside in, bringing that nature in, we do live in a much more, um, I guess, uh, an indoor-outdoor environment, so there's a lot more opportunity for people to, you know, appreciate the the outdoors up here. So that obviously comes through in the architectural style that um, that you do as well. So yeah, Tim, yeah, no, I think it's fantastic to be able to live like that. I, I know we'll, we'll we'll dive into a little bit more for our listeners. We'll dive into a bit more um, design and some ideas um, and pick your brain on on how you do sort of those sort of things, as Melinda touched on for the environment up here. Just give our listeners a little bit more of an understanding as well, because I know when people talk to us, they if they want to look to to build or renovate or whatever they might want to do, there's usually a question: Do I do I get a draftsman? Do I get an architect? Can you just help people understand the difference when we start to talk between drafting and an architectural side of things? Yeah, for sure. So um, you're right; it is, and often when people embark on this, they often haven't done it before, and the whole building industry, I think, can be a bit intimidating for people. They've, all they generally hear about is all the problems, how much it's going to take, cost, how long it's going to take, et cetera, et cetera. I think fundamentally when you're looking to what you should do and how you might proceed, you've got to think about it as a different product. So if, for instance, you were to buy an existing house and it was all working pretty well for you, you didn't necessarily need to make it much bigger and you had a very clear idea either from your own experience or um, just the circumstances being pretty obvious and then you can go to a draftsman and often you can go to a builder who will engage the draftsman and they'll say okay well we can make this we can add on this room a couple of bedrooms and you and you sort of drive a lot of that as the owner and a lot of you know there's a lot of um builders who have an interest in design and so you'll have a discussion about well how big might it be where might the windows and doors go um, and so that's that's one option the the other option is if you've got something either a lot more complex um, in terms of what you want to add to it or you're doing a new house which looks quite complex and it's in a uh, perhaps the site's a bit difficult then that's often the case where you want to get an architect to do it. And that, the architectural product, what I'd say to people is, if you're thinking of using an architect, then you should research both what that architect produces in terms of how it looks and feels. And if that looks good, then you want to have a chat to them and see if you can work with them. Because usually it takes 
you know, a period of about sort of two years by the time you start to by the time you finished and different architects will work in different ways. Um, the way we work is we we do a lot of upfront work to, to understand our clients, to understand the site and then for us to get the best quality product in our minds, um, we then as, we stay involved through the whole of the construction period. So, you know, if you're someone who's overseas, for instance, and you can't attend to all that stuff yourself, or you're too busy or you don't have the expertise, then that 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 three-way um, collaboration between architect, client, and builder through the whole process is really good. Um, so that's that's the I guess that's the two real differences. It's, it, it is a difference in product and it's a difference in complexity. Yeah. I think what I what I like to think about architects who do a good job is that we guess the maximum that's where the design skills which eggs have um, that's where you really get the benefit of it so it's really to maximize the you know the views and for us it's cross ventilation all that type of thing and really the connections to landscape and I, I don't think there's any other profession that's any better place to do that the great builder you need to work with because you want good quality you want to stay up you want all that and you don't want the the hassles of people mismanaging how a project gets built, but to maximise the opportunity for a complex site or a complex brief, then I reckon an architect's essential. Before you start designing a home, Tim, there's a process that you ask all of your clients to go through, and I've been lucky enough to experience the the process um, already myself. What is that process that uh, you go through to help understand or help your team understand what people want in their home? Yeah, thanks, Melinda. That, that is a good question. I think that, um, again, that probably goes a little bit back to the previous one. We spend a lot of time up front understanding, trying to deeply understand our clients as best we can. So if you think about any design project, you've basically got a site and that site will have certain requirements, um, bushfire, whatever, some practical sort of considerations. And then you'll have what the client wants and... So we do, we've got a, um, a two-step process. One is we get them to do, uh, we ask them to do some surveys, some electronic surveys for us, which cover a range of things from the practical requirements as best they understand it at the time. So, well, you know, do I, I need to cater for my elderly parents, um, so I need an extra wing, I need three bedrooms, I need a kitchen. So they're kind of a, it's kind of like a practical list of, things to be included. And that's, I guess, the traditional idea of a, what's called a brief to go to an architect. And from that, you can look at sizes and you can generate a plan and you can then, once it's, you know, what that, how big that is, you can get an estimate of costs. But the other thing that we do that we find is just as important is we have a, a two or three hour workshop that we do with our clients and we have a series of exercises which, you know, which includes some drawing for a couple of exercises, which some people get a bit intimidated by, but it actually opens up a different part of their brains. And what we're trying to really understand then is what makes them tick as people. So we've done quite a lot of those, and we'll find that some people, for instance, um, and I, I'm using a kind of a, an oversimplification here, but some people go, well, I really love being up high and view is all important to an obvious one, but we get other people who go, well, actually, I don't care so much about being up high. I actually want to be really connected to the earth because, and you do get a different experience. So, you know, we're talking in Queensland, the traditional Queenslander is a sort of suspended structure above the earth. I live in one. I love them. 
but you've got to disconnect from the garden, whereas a courtyard-type house, which we're doing a lot more of now in Queensland, where you can basically walk out, walk out of the doors into the garden, it's a different feel. So, so one way to ask people about a brief is, well, do you like to be up high? Do you like to be down low? What we want to do with our workshops is actually tap into how they grew up and some of their experiences to to not ask for a, an, uh, sort of a simple answer. We like to sort of tap into it and explore it in a fair bit of detail. And often we'll find if it's a couple that we're working for, which is pretty usual, each member of that partnership might have completely different views on how they want to live. So we're doing a house at the moment in Budrum and the, uh, and the, the wife has said, well, I like to sleep in. I want a complete block out in my room. I mean, it's an amazing sight, looks out to Morton Island. And the husband said, I don't care about privacy. I get up at dawn. I want to basically have a completely transparent bedroom. So you can see that's where the, you know, if you were to go to perhaps a draft and go, well, I want a, a building, I want a bedroom that I can be completely locked down, block out the light and completely transparent. You know, it's like, well, how does that work? And that's where the, the joy and the challenge of design to get these things to work comes through so in summary melinda yeah we do some upfront lists technical stuff desires and then we do some a kind of a deep dive into what makes people tick and where we can we really like to respond to those sort of gems of information that we get out of people it's interesting that you say that you really take a deep dive into understanding what makes people tick because I can't imagine there's anything more important than living in a home that makes you feel a certain way. And I know when we represent buyers as buyers agents, we need to understand how people feel in a home because objectively you can turn up mm. and you can show uh, a couple a home that has the desired number of bedrooms, the right layout, uh, you know, the, the required living space the number of bedrooms, bathrooms, ensuite, everything that they need. But if it doesn't feel right, then it's not yeah. going to be the perfect match for them. And like you, quite often we will have husband and wife couples who have quite different ideas when it comes to ideal living. So when you're mm. buying an established home, it's obviously very hard to satisfy everybody's idealisms when it comes to perfect design. But when you're creating mm. your own home and you're working with an architect like yourself, Obviously, that is something where you're able to draw out what is important to people and include that within the design so that everybody gets something that they're wanting. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, Melinda. It's a good summary. And, you know, it's a way to, you know, as you say, when, when people are buying something, I guess they can look at it and they might imagine how it might be furnished or they might imagine some alterations, but it's a bit more difficult for people. Um, but it's a pretty expensive mistake or it can cost a lot of money to rectify so all that upfront work is really important to again get to the other end and be happy with what you've got and that journey takes a fair bit of time and um, i had another important thought that has just gone straight out of my head Tim, I, <laughs> um, so, <laughs> I, i've i've been involved in the, the building industry pretty much all my life um i was a carpenter with my dad so i've seen a lot of changes through construction side of things what can you give give us an understanding? What sort of things have you seen change a lot when it comes to designing homes, especially up here in Queensland? And and, and what sort of things? I mean, I, one thing I'll probably reflect on really quickly, and whether I'm right or wrong here, you'll probably correct me. What, what sort of things have lasted the, the test of time? So I remember years and years ago, we used to have louver windows. They then decided to put sliders in and double hung windows and all that sort of thing. All of a sudden, louver windows come back in because they let the breeze work really well when they go through properties 
up here in Queensland, what sort of things have you seen change and big mm. changes and what sort of things have you seen really stand the test of time and come back? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I think the big change that I've probably seen since I graduated is there's, I think there's a real tendency now to, to build a lot more. Um, so houses tend to be a lot bigger. Yep. Um, and then I've seen certain fads come and go like 10 years ago, everyone wanted to have a home theatre and now I think everyone's realised that's a big waste of space. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, you know, the, the big one at the moment is butler's pantries. People sort of like that. So there's some of the fads that come and go. And um, I guess there's a certain, you know, media out there and people see things on TV and they go, well, that's the latest. That's what I want. Um, I think the, th- the other really big change is we've got, and there's some architects in Brisbane that, probably drove this over a number of years with construction techniques being able to accommodate sloping sites better than say the old Queenslander did. There is, we have, I think we've really understood a lot more about how we can get those connections to to the earth. And like, as you sort of say, big sliding door systems and screens, which can retract to the full width. You're not just left with a tiny little sliding door screen. So. So those, I think that's a big shift and I can't see that ever going back because I guess it's a, it's a reflection of how we want to live and I think that connection to garden and outdoors is not something which we're ever going to suddenly go, yeah. Let, let's move inside again. I suppose potentially if the climate does heat up and energy costs increase, there could be, you know, maybe that gets adjusted a little bit. But I do think we understand now how to live a bit more in harmony with our environment, even though we're doing houses which... Are probably bigger than they should be in some to some degree yeah mm. um so i think that part's definitely sort of the test of time um there's definitely a few different construction techniques out there's a fair bit more heavyweight architecture happening concrete um but it's it's used it's not used in the sort of old brick veneer suburb type way that's it's used where you sort of you you know you might see the off-form finish to the concrete that type of thing um and yeah, I think louvers are back. They do they do, they do give you a great benefit with cross ventilation, um, and I suppose just maximising openings where you can, either for view or connection to the outdoors. Yeah. That's something which has been important. We're able now to do with sort of steel and things. We're able to get bigger spans to get bigger openings. Um, so that. That has changed. As long as we can keep doing it, we'll keep doing it. Tim, one of the things that we often get asked when people are looking to buy is should I renovate or should I knock down and rebuild? Now, obviously, in Brisbane, there's some limitations when it comes to knocking down character protected homes or, you know, there's demolition controls in some locations. But what is the best way to approach that? And I'm sure you've got a unique perspective on, you know, that question, should I actually renovate this home or should I knock it down and start again? What's your perspective? Yeah, I reckon it. um, Thanks, Melinda. I think that's another excellent question. We get asked it. We we get asked it a lot. We particularly get asked it in relation to some of the older Queenslander timber houses in Brisbane. Um, And I think like a lot of things, there's probably two aspects to it. One is a numbers sort of analysis. So in round terms, an old Queenslander, let's say it's 150 square metres in size. Now, a lot of your listeners won't necessarily have a, they might have talked about houses being in squares or some other other size. But in Queensland, we talk about the square meterage being in square metres. So, you know, a small two to three bedroom Queenslander might be 150 square metres. At the moment with construction costs, you're probably needing to think about four to $6,000 a square metre for construction. So 
If you think about demolishing an existing house, let's say it's 150 square metres in size, you might pay 30 grand to demolish it, and then you've got to rebuild that 150 square metres in some form. And if we said it's, you know, 4,000 a square metre to rebuild it, that's $600,000. You know, that, that gives you $630,000 to look at that existing house and go, well, how, how might I get a better um, use of my money? And that's, so that's really what we look at is, okay, well, how good is that existing house? How sound is it? Much work would we need to do to get the benefits out of that site? What do we need to do to that house? What could we get for $630,000? And if we only need to spend two hundred dollars to get a huge amount of benefit, then that's what we look at doing. And then often there's an extension component as well. So, so that's the sort of the numbers part of it. I think the other part of it, and it's a bit harder for people that haven't lived in a house for a while. If you're someone who, if you know, if you bought the house, you've lived in it for a year, you've been through the seasons and you kind of get a feel often when, I mean, I'm sure you guys have found this often what you first think about a house is slightly different. If you've lived there for a year, you kind of get to know it. That piece of garden that didn't look too special at the start, actually, you really like it. So the other part of it is how special does that house feel to you? And for instance, if you've got something that's sort of small and ceilings low and you can't open it up you might save money but you sort of go well i've put three hundred thousand dollars in yes i saved money but i don't i haven't ended up with anything particularly special and i do think whatever you do if you're embarking on a project any sort of renovation to be honest renovation of a new house you want to give yourself the maximum chance at the end of going wow we've really created something here which is good for the next 5 10 15 20 years and we really have maximised the opportunities for that site and how we want to live on that site. So it does come down, yeah, partly it's a financial analysis and how sound it all is and whether things to rectify. And the other part of it is what do we need to, you know, how are we going to feel? Again, it comes down to the feeling. You know, can we make this feel special? Or are we going to spend all this dough and it's kind of going to be a bit average? So let's knock it down and start again. Yeah, I think it's a good point, Tim, when you talk about um, living in a property. And we talk to people about this when they when they buy a house and think about doing some work or renovations and well, generally the first thing we'll say to them is just live in it for a little while and experience mm -hmm. it and get a feel of it. And then mm -hmm. you really understand things like, as you say, where the sun pops up, where the breeze comes from, all those types of things. And you really get a feel of how that house works. Um, yeah. I, I want to ask on, and I know you touched a little bit this on when you talked about the, the windows and the open spaces and louvers and things like that. In environmental side of things, I know that the energy efficiency side of houses is really big. Um, I think I personally, I think it's probably going to get bigger. You'll probably be able to shed a bit more light than that. Um, I think there'll be a lot of more importance put on that with, as you say, the cost of living, which you touched on as well. What sort of things are you seeing that are becoming really important? Because I think for the general listener that doesn't know a lot about building, the first thing I'll probably do is talk about solar panels on the roof. Um, there's a lot more to that, obviously, than when you come to design a home. Um, from yeah. the architectural side of it, what sort of things are you seeing in the environmental space? Yeah, that's a, listen, that's a great question. And as you say, it's only going to get more important for a couple of reasons. One is the, I guess there is a consensus that the planet's warming and we need to be really conscious of how carbon-intensive products and, and running of houses are. Um, uh, so there's that. And then there's also the... Yeah, the, the, just the sheer cost of living, you know, the, the amount that bills add up to at the moment. So overall, it goes under the term, I suppose, sustainability, which can be a bit of a, become a little bit of a meaningless term for some people. But what we mean when we talk about it, and it is a big focus of our practice, it means everything from doing things smaller but remaining generous. So we'll often advocate to our clients, let's make this no bigger than it needs to be. Let's build less 
it'll cost you, know, you can it doesn't take long if you if you're averaging four thousand a meter to save quite a bit of money on construction costs by by making it smaller without compromising actually the feel at the end that's the real that's where the real skill lies then it runs down the it cascades down through all the other decisions made about the building so we will always at the early planning stages look to maximize what they call passive design principles so if we can get rooms that are open on both sides or we'll open up a corner to get breezes through it doesn't mean that you would have no air conditioning but we'd like to think Instead of running that air conditioning six months a year, we'd get it down to a month a year because it's designed properly. Um, and maybe instead of having a massive system, you can end up with a slightly smaller system because of the you get that cross ventilation through. Heating is a bit less of an issue in Brisbane, but you know I actually find the winter surprisingly cold. So trying to get that's because you've been, to, in, um, been in Brisbane for a while now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you know the old Queenslanders don't have good insulation. No. Which That's is the right. other big thing, but that doesn't that doesn't cost much. So again, through the the construction process, ventilation, getting lots of insulation, which is really cheap to put in, but makes a massive difference in terms of running costs. That's that's essential. And then yeah, where you can getting your own power in terms of solar panels is a really good thing to do. I um you, can, you might have to edit this out of the final clip, but when I did engineering, we had a a, a lecturer who did a lot of work in Papua New Guinea and places. And he said to all in how hot the place is or, you know, the, the culture or the diets and things like that. And he said the single most important thing is how easy it is to access water. So if you've got taps, if you've got a whole lot of taps in your house, you use a 1,000 litres a day. If you've got one tap in the garden, you'd use 100 litres a day. If you've got to walk 5Ks to a tap, you'll use 20 litres a day. And so one of the things I love about sustainability and you know we've done off-grid houses and things like that. Is you actually get you really get aware of what you're using. Mm. So you know if you see if your battery's going down, you go well. I'll actually turn those lights off, or you know I won't run the washing machine till tomorrow. So I actually I think it's really good from a cost point of view. You know, I'd probably sound like a bit of an energy nerd, but it's actually quite you know I'd prefer to see. If people want to get in touch, Tim, I know that um, we we haven't had a lot of time to cover all of the the information that we would have loved to have covered today. But if people want to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way for them to reach out? Um, I think the best way is just to uh, go to our website. So my name's got lots of N's and T's in it. Uh, um, Perhaps we can put up something as a... Put it in the show type, notes. Type that out, yep. Um, that's probably the best as an inquiry page there. Happy to take a call or receive an email um, from people at any time. Uh, we, you know, we are pretty passionate about doing the best design we can and getting the happiest clients we can at the end. And we really do like that sort of residential domestic space where you really get to know your clients over that period of a year or two and it's a sort of a shared joy when you've completed a project together it's fantastic and just to help some of the listeners if they are looking for an architect um what is the main type of design that you would focus on so that the right type of people would be reaching out to you i think what you're best to do it goes a little bit back to what we said at the start you've got to choose between builder draftsman and architect mm. and then if you have determined that what you want is an architectural product just about all architects now will have a website which will showcase some of their work Yep. So they'll tell you the type of product that they do. I would definitely say to people, if you can, try and visit one or two of the properties that they've done. Um, usually we find our new clients have walked through an old client's house 
or we've taken them for a visit after some conversation looks like it's we're going to it's going to be a good fit because i think as you said melinda there's all the pictures of it there's all the photos but it actually comes down to the feel of it mm. and you get a feel for what someone does and how they work when you visit an old project so that's what i'd try and do i, I liked uh tim i think maybe our, our boys need to get a tip off you when you said be be aware of what you use because the amount of water they use and the power they use drives us mad sometimes <laughs> and, and when, when we do sit down right. and actually show them what it costs I, I think it's yeah. a bit of a shock, but I think if you had that actually displayed somewhere. You, you just want that visual. Like, you know, yeah. if you're having a shower, you've got a visual going, mate, you've got two minutes yeah. or you've got 20 litres. Yeah. I often is, joke yeah, I'm going to go out and I'm going to blow the blow the gas out so that their hot shower turns <laughs> cold and that's the end of their shower. But <laughs> Exactly. Uh, look, Tim, it's, it's been great chatting. Look, there's, I think there's a lot of um, information there for people, um, some good tips and some great ideas. And as Melinda said, if people do need help or interested in having a chat, reach out to um, Tim Benetton Architects here in Brisbane. Um, I've seen some of your designs and they're, they're quite amazing. So but thanks very much for having a chat. Um, I will let Melinda wrap it up as, as we normally do um, and close it out. Until next week, thanks very much for listening and bye for now. Yes, thank you so much, Tim. We have really appreciated you coming on to our show today. Thank you very much, Melinda. Thank you, Scott. It's been a real pleasure to chat. Wonderful. Well, look, um, if you've enjoyed this episode, as always, please don't forget to share this episode with friends and family, especially those that may be looking to renovate or rebuild or build from new, build from scratch here in Brisbane or indeed in Southeast Queensland. Tim Benetton might be the next person that you are speaking to. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode also, please don't forget to leave us a review on your favourite podcast player and hit that subscribe button so that you don't miss any future episodes. Until next week, we hope you have a good one and we'll speak to you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and, of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.